our apologies right out the gate for having to do this over phone. Although, I think last time we interviewed you, it was also over phone. I think it was, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Tom. As Tom was saying earlier today, it's like we kind of take pride in our DIY um, set up here. That, that and the internet shit. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really bad. I'm familiar with that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you listen to the interview we did with Elizabeth Cat, was it, like two weeks ago? The internet internet went out like five different times. It was really embarrassing, honestly. Well, you know, Trump's gonna fix it, so you know. So he says. Yeah, yeah, the, just hang in there. The Calvary's sure, coming. Sure it'll be great. Right, right, right. Well, uh, I hope you're doing well, Sarah. Uh, it's been it's been a minute. Um, yeah. But welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. For sure. Um, we wanted to talk to you about, as I worded it. Um, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about Billy Graham, but, uh, more than that. First, we need, uh, you to lay out your Christian bona fides just to make sure that you're qualified <laughs> to, uh... Does getting kicked out of Christian high school count? Fuck yeah. yeah that, you get a lot of points for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, my parents are super religious. They're still super religious. Um, uh, although they hate Donald Trump, so, you know... Yeah, that's point, good. Points for it to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got kicked out of Christian high school, and after that, I still went to Christian college, which was a grave error in retrospect. Where what um, what college was it? It was Cedarville University in Ohio, so it was like super conservative Baptist. We had to wear pants; the girls did, but like that's about as far as. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I know you didn't go to a Pentecostal college then. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, I got to cut my hair too. I feel you there. I uh, little known fact about Tom Sexton: I nearly accepted a partial tennis scholarship to Oral Roberts University. Oh my God! So I, I dodged a bullet there. I might have followed a different trajectory in life at that. Uh... <laughs> it might have ended up being the same trajectory. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the, that's true. That's true. I could have been uh, yeah. working for the New Republic. <laughs> yeah, you know it works out sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah, my. Uh, the only people in my family that went to college went to Hardin Simmons. Do y'all know what that is? Yeah, it's a Christian college yeah. in West Texas. Right. Also, the alma mater of the famous poker player Doyle Brunson. Hmm. That's quite the claim to fame. <laughs> is he still a Christian? I don't think. So. Was he ever one? <laughs> I don't know. He gambles. How can he be Christian? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's strict prohibition against casting lots. I, if, if you work on Wall Street, though, it's the same thing and consider yourself a Christian. So I don't know. There's it's, a lot of... It's absolutely the same thing. Like, yeah. some of the shit they do, it's, it might as well be witchcraft as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. What does it mean to, like, trade futures? I don't know what that means. Right. <laughs> I don't know what a derivative is or a... That, that, uh, that sounds a lot like soothsaying. Yeah. Much, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, right. Um, you know... <laughs> That the Apostle Paul didn't approve of that, if I recall correctly. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I got kicked out of Christian high school, but went to Christian college. Yeah, very um, controversial. Right. So, what? What? Um, at what point did you? Uh, I guess the term is backsliding. <laughs> what point did you <laughs> start to like do that? Like permanent backslide. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely in college. There's just something about being surrounded by it. I mean, I was already surrounded by it 24-7, but, like, living on a college campus and just not getting any escape from it whatsoever um, definitely made me an atheist. So that that's that's where that happened. 
Yeah, it's funny, like, as I was, you know, I was sitting around last night trying to make some notes about this show and what to talk about. It's funny that, like, it's really hard, I think, to say that you're an atheist, and I, I know it's like, that's, maybe that sounds stupid, but I guess what I mean is that, like, some individuals like Sam Harris and these sort of new atheist types have so thoroughly soiled the sort <laughs> the of... The good name of atheism. The good name of atheism, <laughs> that it's... It's really hard. Well, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, it's yeah. it's funny. It's like I almost sort of um, anticipate, and I feel like I've already sort of started to see some people actually push back against the atheism thing to such an extent that they try to pick back up Christianity, mm-hmm. which is, it's like, I mean, you don't have to like compromise your core values just because of how shitty Sam Harris is. Or do you? I really don't know. It's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to talk about. But... It's definitely tempting sometimes. And there was a, a big BuzzFeed story that came out yesterday about you know how Lawrence Krauss has been like sexually harassing people and like even assaulting a couple of people sort of in the atheist and skeptic world. And I read that and I was like, you know, I grew up in the church. We had plenty of that too. So I don't see a significant difference as far as this goes. Yeah. Um, the only problem is like, I still don't believe in God. So like, I, and you know, I don't know what's left for me after that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's difficult because like for me personally, like at the time I became an atheist, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit this, but like, you know, there really wasn't, um, a whole lot out there in terms of like speaking to that experience with the exception of people like Christopher Hitchens. And that's why like mm-hmm. in my early twenties, I got really into Hitchens and a lot of these other writers is just cause I was so angry and like <laughs> didn't really have any way to make sense of atheism that I latched on to some really bad, uh, ideas <laughs> and, and writers, but I don't know. Yeah. I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. I don't know. Did, did that happen to you, Tom? I'm still, uh, I've still got one foot at the foot of the cross. I think. Interesting. I've <laughs> noticed this about you. I've, I've been sort of. Uh, I could, I consider myself a, uh, a closet deist with Rastafarian sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I think Thomas Jefferson also identified as that. Don't, don't put me in that. Yeah, company. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um. So okay. So. All right, we're all, well, me and Sarah at least are atheists, and you've got one foot in the door. I'll, I'll give you all an hour to convert me. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, well, Billy Graham might have done that, uh, uh, at least for me. Um, so, you know, he just died mm-hmm. <laughs> this week. Godspeed, Bill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you wrote something in the in the New Republic about it that I, I, I thought was pretty... Um, important because uh, Billy Graham did leave a legacy um and one of which you write is prejudice and I want we'll get to that in a minute Tom, you know Tom will talk a little bit about that but um one thing I wanted to talk about about Billy Graham's legacy was just like his media presence like he was he actually was very innovative at using media to project his message and I think that had a huge impact on um other what we would call evangelist and televangelist. He was the first televangelist, correct? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And he was really, he was very much like, he grasped the theater of it 
I mean, if you've seen a country preacher, you know that they're generally all pretty good at that. And, like, he was really good at translating that for a mass audience and taking advantage of television, like, which was an emerging technology at the time, and, you know, helped him reach the most people as possible. It also helped make him pretty famous. Right. Sorry, I'm choking on water here. Um, Lay hands on you. you Yeah, could you (laughs) lay hands on me? It's not holy water I'm choking on. (laughs) Yeah, um, but no, seriously, um, so yeah, you were, you were, um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to, I put, I picked up some, like, passages from the thing you wrote yesterday, and I put them in the wrong folder, so I'm trying to get my shit together. Okay, okay, so, um, so, like, you write, like, Back when Billy Graham was getting his start, uh, the terms, you said the terms fundamentalist and evangelical, um, they're used interchangeably now, but back then they were two different things. Um, could you talk yeah. a little bit about about that? Right. So, like, the, the, they didn't actually differ much on doctrine. They were both, like, biblical literalists, and they generally believed the same group of people were going to hell, so they, they didn't do much on that, but they differed a lot in how, like, how they believe that you were supposed to best lead a Christian life in a secular world. The fundamentalists believe, you know, the world is tainted, and we're going to be tainted if we associate with it too much. And Billy Graham didn't truck with that. Like, he he very much, like, wanted to reach out to the world and thought that that was a more effective way of being an evangelist. And in fact, Bob Jones Sr. hated him for it, and I think Bob Jones University students were even punished at the time for attending a Billy Graham crusade, which sounds crazy wow. to say now. Like, who could imagine Bob Jones University students being punished for going to a crusade? But right. that's how it was back then. Right. Wow. It predates the Jay-Z Nas beef by <laughs> decades. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, that, I think that's interesting, sir. I think... Um, I I grew up in the, in the sort of charismatic Pentecostal stuff, and like my mom was big into like Oral Roberts and you know Kenneth Copeland, some of those people who Billy Graham was sort of their ideological and theological forebear. When did in in your reading about Billy Graham and what you know about him, when did he sort of uh? Like, I'm trying to think how I could phrase this. Uh, <laughs> help me out here, Terrence. <laughs> like, I'm sure I'm trying try to say, like, like when did the whole sort of televangelism thing take off? I mean, he started it, but, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, say yeah. mostly in the 70s and the 80s. Right. Um, like, it coincided with sort of the genesis and evolution of the religious right is like a discernible political movement. Right. Um, so television played an important role in that. Yeah, and so, yeah, the Christian right as a political movement was basically a response to the 1960s sort of counterculture, you know, and it sort of solidified into an actual political movement by the time the 80s rolled around. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting, you know, and um, one of the things that you're writing that is that, like, you, um, Billy Graham, sort of left this legacy of what we would call, you know, prejudice. Like, that is Billy Graham's legacy, even though some of his apologists try to say that, you know, he 
was friends with Martin Luther King and supported civil rights and all this. He was an inveterate anti-Semite. He, uh, you know, supported, what was it? Uh, was he part of, like, the William Buckley wanted to put, like, barcodes on, on AIDS victims? And, you know, well, he and, said that was sort of, it's sort of the Pat Robertson line, right? It's like that yeah. AIDS was the judgment uh, for... He, he did support gay conversion therapy, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely did. Um, and so, you know, like, this is, this is legacy that he leaves behind, and me and Tom were talking before, you know, we called you, like, one of the most fascinating aspects of that is, you know, not, he, not only did he leave a legacy that you could call sort of, um, you could call, uh, theological and, uh, based in sort of, like, literature and media and all this, it was also sort of hereditary, and, and, you know, it's very interesting that a lot of these televangelists, like their their literal sons, wind up just taking over the mantle of their fathers, but in a way more fringe. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like Franklin Graham and Billy Graham. And then you have like Robert Schuler and, and his son. I don't remember what his son's name. Richard Roberts and Oral Roberts. Right. And Joel uh, Osteen and John Osteen. Jerry Falwell Jr. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. They like they take up the already pretty fringe and radical ideas of their parents <laughs> and run with it. It's like it's like you know if you take over the business from your from your parents, like the the family business. And you run it into the ground. I mean, you know, you've got to you've got to actually run a business. You know, that takes actual skills and everything. But mm-hmm. it's a pretty easy sale. I think it's a pretty it's a pretty easy grift to take over the evangelical business from your parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <clears throat> it is. So, like, I think one thing that's really interesting, especially when you're thinking about like this particular subculture, is it's really patriarchal. Obviously, exactly. So, you know. I feel like that's a factor here. You've got all these sons trying to like pick up from their fathers and part of their father's legacy is because this is so patriarchal rests on how well their sons eventually do. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> unfortunately Franklin Graham is like the chief male son <laughs> as far as that goes. And like, I, I, did y'all ever like, the whole preacher's kid syndrome. Did y'all run into this in church? Like, I was I was literally going to ask you. the The term PK was something I heard a lot. Yeah, which PKs, was yeah, yeah, and they yeah. were like the wildest ones. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that, except like magnified by a hundred times. Because like, if you're Billy Graham's son, like literally everyone, not everyone, but like most people know who your father is, and like <laughs> yeah. that's that's a lot. And I don't think it did wonders for Franklin's brain, to be totally frank with you. <laughs> I feel like it, I feel like it cracked him a little bit. I, and, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. When um, so like yeah, he's got like this patriarchal expectation that there's going to be some, some son that can carry on the father's legacy, and it's basically only sons that can do this. And um, it's quite a weight. And if you're Franklin Graham, you're you're perhaps not best equipped to do that. But you know, what are you going to do? Right. When uh, when Terrence was living in Boone, North Carolina, a few years ago, we were roommates, mm-hmm. and he left to do a job down there. And he uh, apparently thought it'd be cute to sign me up for Samaritan's Purse <laughs> mailings. <laughs> and to this day, I get both emails and like real like solicitation letters from Franklin. To this day, I still deny it. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little yeah, too. Yeah, I convenient. forgot that they're in Boone. We used to do the the Christmas shoe boxes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. No. I- I was, um, yeah, Franklin, or uh, Billy Graham was actually, 
you know, this is as a sort of side tangent. Uh, he actually was sort of used by the Lyndon Johnson administration to sort of hawk the war on poverty in the mountains mm-hmm. of Western North Carolina, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, you know, and I, I put, I was saying this on Twitter the other day, like, I think Graham saw the war on poverty as like the perfect amalgamation of like conservative, hardworking bootstrap values and um, the more sort of progressive Christian notion of helping out the poor. It sort of like called out the contradictions of his faith and he didn't really have a choice but to sort of, um, you know, hawk the government's line on that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think like, There are points in his early career, especially, where you you can see him experiencing a form of, like, class prejudice because he didn't come from money, obviously. And, you know, he didn't dress too fancy. Like, he wore pretty, you know, the typical Southern preacher suit. Um, and people thought that he was, like, a fraud or, like, he, you know, they didn't give him the time of day just because he dressed like that and he talked in a certain way. Um, it's also always really struck me as, like, Amusing for a number of reasons, but, like, the Billy Graham Library is, like, a barn. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> it's just, like, it's, like, meant to be, like, a barn. And, like, there was originally, I was going back and reading some of the Washington Post early reporting on it. And I don't know if this ended up happening because I have not actually been to the library. But there was originally going to be, like, some sort of, like, cow. But it was in a real cow. It was, like, an animatronic cow that was going to be in the barn and it was going to talk and shit about Billy Graham. And it was just, like... <laughs> it's like incredible to me but also it's just like he he got like so far i guess removed from his roots like you're just gonna like build franklin is all franklin's idea of course right right. and you're just gonna build like this barn and a cow in it and that's like how you're acknowledging his his class roots here i i wonder how you know kind of going back to what i was saying a little bit i wonder how that the ideological forebear was this sort of modest person and then like all of his progeny are these sort of ostentatious like just and sometimes downright tacky people like Terrence and I were talking Sarah before you came on about uh Chuck Grassley's investigation into a lot of these uh like televangelist operations a couple years back like maybe the only Mm -hmm. good thing Grassley ever did (laughs) yeah but like, Other than his yeah, tweets. He has good he tweets. It, yeah. <laughs> and then, like, he found out that, like, Joyce Meyer, who's a famous female televangelist in St. Louis, like, was, like, spending, like, money from her patrons on, like, golden toilets and, like, shit like that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah. it's just kind of interesting to think about, you know, this sort of humble but fiery, charismatic Southern preacher gave birth to all these just, just transparently fraudulent people. Yeah, I mean, there's always been a strain of that in the whole, like, Kent Revival preacher tradition. Like, you know, Sinclair Lewis's novel, Elmer Gantry, is basically about that. Um, like, how it was very easy to be a fraud and to gain, like, this huge following as long as you were able to capture an audience and group of people. Um, then you would have a career and you could make a pretty good bit of money off of it. And then you know, TV came along, and of course, you know, if you were good on TV, that just made it, it sort of magnified the Right, right, right. Yeah, it's if if Terrence and I were also talking. If you're on Twitter and you're making all these smooth brain jokes about Max Cernovich's supplements and Alex Jones and all that stuff, you really have mm-hmm. like the Billy or the excuse me the Benny Hens of the world <laughs> and people like that to thank who were like hawking these sort of pseudo scientific 
uh, you know. Yeah, like Biddy Hinn was the original smooth brain, or um, what was that? We were also just talking about um, the the clip that you used. Oh, Jim Baker. Jim Baker. Yeah, they were they were hawking a lot of this shit <laughs> way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Baker still does, although he's gotten like more into the prepper stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> incredible to me like he i guess he sells or like hawks those like buckets of like sloth essentially that you're supposed to be able to like store in your bunker and then eat right that's right that's right he's got probably got more in common with alex jones and his like uh doomsday seeds than well it is yeah. it is interesting and it could be a useful pivot because um i do feel like billy graham um you know, his death may have been the ending of an era in the sense that, like, his form of evangelicalism, to, to me anyways, and I'm not I, I'm not very strong in this, and I was telling Tom, I'm not, I, you know, as a Christian, I was never really into evangel, evangelist, evangelist or anything. Um, but it feels like Billy Graham was not quite as an apocalyptic guy as these more recent guys are. And modern Christianity has it feels like taking on an incredibly apocalyptic um, dimension to it. And and also to that note, he wasn't, he's not really into like the like laying on of hands and like, you know, healing right. cancer yeah. and shit like that. You know, like you see a lot of televangelists right. into, he, that was never really his bag. Yeah. Which is interesting. Right. Because that, that does play good with an audience, you know, <laughs> like the laying of hands. Well, who and, was the guy, Popoff, Peter Popoff? They got caught yeah. like like doing this shit in the eighties where he was yeah. like, like would have plants in the audience and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, Billy Graham had a little more legitimacy than those guys. Even though I would argue that he's kind of where these people got their worldview from. Right, you know? right. Yeah. yeah, I think he definitely established like a kind of model that people were able to take up afterwards. But I'd argue that like the fact that he didn't lay hands on people or do faith healing actually helped make him more mainstream. Right. I feel like there's, like, if you look at, like, just class prejudices within Christianity itself, like, people who might be Baptist or, or you know, Presbyterian, Episcopalian look down on people who are Pentecostal or charismatic. Like, yeah. it's, like it's kind of gauche to believe in all that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was a factor. I think that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and I think I think that's how a guy like Joel Osteen has got you yeah, know, mainstream acceptance too, because his is more of the self help, self helpy, like kind of new agey, like power positive thinking stuff yeah. that, that that like has undertones of that like healing gospel stuff, right? But without like the whole like over the top presentation and laying on hands and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, he's just more like straight up prosperity gospel. Right, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. If you have any sort of need in your life, then it can be mediated through patronage and clientage to my church and right. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you think that says about, you know, it's funny because um, when you were talking a minute ago about um, the sort of like tent revivals even before Billy Graham and how, you know, preachers, you know, would go on these circuits and basically there was a whole element of theater to it. I think it's interesting when you contrast American Christianity with, um, you know, even European and, uh, you know, European strains of Christianity and, you know, th like Islam and other religions. It's like our <laughs> our religion here in this country, our Christianity is so performative it, almost. And it mm -hmm. has a millenarian element to it. It feels like even in some of the more um, Billy Graham, Joel Osteen types, there is a sort of millenarian, the world is going to end. America is, you know... <clears throat> 
this sort of like uh, vehicle for uh, ruling over the world and implementing this Christian worldview. I don't know. Do you do you see that at all? I mean, do you do you think that? What do you think Billy Graham's role in that was? Or do you, I don't know if this is even making any sense at this point. But yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Like, I think the answer, like the short answer, is yes. Like he did help make that happen. And um, the Kevin Cruz book that I cite in my piece about Billy Graham is really good about that because it kind of goes into how um, this started to happen after World War II when we entered the Cold War and everyone was worried about the, the Great Red Threat and, you know, also welfare policies that actually helped. Businessmen were really um, invested in the idea of promoting capitalism and free market and free enterprise as being part of American identity in contrast with the Soviet Union. Right. Um, and it's a culture war of a kind, and if you're going to fight a culture war, you need propagandists, and preachers are real good for that. So, oh yeah. <laughs> um, so that's how that got started, and Billy Graham was part of that. And I think you can make the argument that you know, that generation of preachers, um, Billy Graham being one of them, really sort of helped just create like this synthesis of you know capitalism and American identity and Christianity, and kind of fusing it into this national. I mean, the roots were already there for sure. Right. Um, but I think that's when it started to become particularly performative and like to become its own kind of civil religion. Yeah, it does plug into a lot of the um, sort of material concepts. Like, I don't know, like Billy Graham for me, and part of the reason why I was never really into this as a teenager, and um, part of the reason why, I, you know, sort of renounced Christianity in general, but. Billy Graham, to me, is a sort of embodiment of how hollow um, American spirituality is, American Christianity is. Like, for example, if you were to ask, I think, you know, and maybe this is a blanket generalization and it might be unfair, but um, I'm just using even myself as an example. I think if you were to just, you know, sample poll a random um, pool of Christians, like, explain your, uh, you know, explain your beliefs in the Holy Trinity, you know what I mean? Like, what does it mean? What is the what is God, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? What does that mean to you? I don't think that really any of them could tell you. It's not something we talk about anymore. We don't talk about, like, Christian ethics or anything, you know, th- things real that liturg- were, er, Yeah, yeah, yeah sort you, of. The yeah. real liturgical issues that were um, really important to a lot of early Christians. Like, I think one of the achievements of Protestantism has been to sort of do away with all of that in the pursuit of individualism and pursuit of like this, you know, and it plugs perfectly into American ideas. Which is a conundrum if you're a socialist, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it is. And yeah, I think that's true. Like most people can't really explain the doctrinal ins and outs unless, you know, the preacher just talked about it the week before. And I don't know how often preachers really go into it. Um, I think it just depends a lot on what your specific denomination is or what your tradition is or just your congregation. Right. Yeah, um, one of the things that I think is really fascinating um, is that, you know, I don't know. I don't know how y'all feel about him, but um, I was really, as an early atheist, I was really into Bertrand Russell, the why I'm not Mm -hmm. a Christian. Yeah. And I think, like, one of the... And one of the main points that he made, and one that still sticks with me, is um, you know he he wrote that social virtue has come to it, it was excluded from Christian ethics from the beginning, mostly because um, you know in the sort of pursuit of 
Well, right, what he wrote, he said, a conception of personal holiness is something quite independent from of beneficent action, since holiness had to be something that could be achieved by people who were impotent in action. So he's basically saying that, like, um, the focus on individual holiness, your personal relationship to God, basically pushed out any kind of notion of social virtue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, so like, yeah. so I don't know. It's like you don't hear a lot of people like Billy Graham or anybody talking about that it's all the individual it's all your personal relationship to god there's no no concept of community or anything imbued in it yeah unless it's right i think i think that's really true like it was really individualist and like you only hear a more communitarian approach from features like william barber for for example and i think it's really a function of politics right right yeah yeah he's he's good yeah yeah he's great yeah i love william barber and um you know i think uh also, did you have something? No, go ahead. So you were going to add to that. Okay. Mm. Now, I think also, like, if you're talking about American Christianity, I think part of it, and I think this is something that uh, I've heard people like Cornell West talk about a lot of times, that America is obsessed with success. And so, like, mm-hmm. if you look at Easter, which is coming up, right? If you look at Easter, <laughs> we celebrate Good Friday and we celebrate Easter, but nobody really talks about Saturday, right? And Saturday is sort of this deep experience like god is dead right and it's mm-hmm. unclear if there's even going to be an easter at all and it's that saturday like condition i think is what i've heard cornell west talk about that like american christians are missing is that that's the reconciliation point when jesus is in the grave right right but as americans we only want to talk about the lighter happier things <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a point around a conciliation. I think too, it should be a time of questioning and doubt. Like if God is dead, if, if Jesus is in the tomb and we don't know if he's coming back, I don't know about you. Be, I'd be asking a lot of questions. I'd be asking if it's all worth it. And you know, yeah. I, I think the average American evangelical is like, doesn't probably question themselves or their, or their root beliefs very often. That, that's exactly right. You know, my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me is not right. a declaration of faith. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, um, Billy Grant, what, what, you got anything else to add to that, Tom? Uh, I was just, when in my reading of your piece, uh, you wrote for Graham, who sparked uh, right-wing ire for holding integrated services in the 50s and who claimed friendship with MLK. These incidents referred, you know, again, back to his anti-Semitic remarks to Nixon on the White House tapes and his believing AIDS was God's judgment on the LGBTQ community could seem like deviations but prejudice is part of the legacy Graham bequeathed to american christianity and that line resonated to me really because i've always thought you know and just sort of connecting this to our bigger project of advocating for a, a an egalitarian society that you know and and forgive me for sounding like a like a twitter cornball here but that the revolution <laughs> will start to gain legs when people who are um venerated or have clout in society like a Billy Graham sort of take up the cause and address the material needs of poor and working people and in Christian parlance because I think we all speak pretty fluent Christian here it's the idea of starting with the least of these you know as laid out Matthew 25 but Graham it seemed like once he had achieved some standing and influence sort of betrayed that in service to the American Empire right and so Mm -hmm. for me he kind of scabbed and it's echoes well it's not really well Actually, Obama 08 is echoes of the Billy Graham thing, you know, because Obama ran as something passable as a radical. He was going to shut down Gitmo, 
all this stuff. But once he made it to the show, you know, his became a presidency of deportations and drone bombings and all this stuff. And, you know, all this is, of course, counter-revolutionary, but it's also anti-Christ because, you know, time and time again, what did Jesus do in his ministry? You know, he, he met the material needs of people first. And their status of their soul was either connected to that need being met or it was a secondary mm-hmm. concern. And I, and I I just kind of appreciated that because, you know, in, in my reading of the scriptures, I think it's interesting that Jesus was never really a uh, proselytizer as much as he was going about, you know, healing the lepers and yeah. all this all this sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, and I think like the Poor People's Campaign, which is, was started by two ministers, William Barber being one of them, I think that's definitely more in line with the spirit of what Jesus actually did. Um, and I, I'm hopeful that that's going to take off and we'll see more of that going forward, um, especially as, you know, you've got younger people coming up in the church, and even if they're very religious, there's a lot of polling data out there, you know, showing that there's some ideological differences between them and between, like, their parents and their grandparents and um, so I'm hopeful, uh, like, that we aren't going to have another Billy Graham, or at least if we have, like, someone else of that stature, it's going to be a very different kind of person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's more of that uh, uh, William Barber school. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's, um, yeah, and that's probably one of the reasons why evangelicalism and these individuals never really resonated with me. To me, the whole point of Christianity was always subversion. It was always challenging power and sticking up for the powerless, and <clears throat> I don't know that. I guess that's, yeah, that's I why. I mean, you could argue Jesus was crucified because he was an enemy of the Roman state, right? Yeah. 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 So. yeah. It's 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 hard. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Jesus, Sarah? Because I'm conflicted. <laughs> I think the guy, like, you know, it's interesting because you know you said some of the things that you know he stood stood for. You know, they're very commendable but he also um advocated for like some very strange things like the dissolution of the family what does he say like love you know you're supposed to love me more than your fathers and <laughs> your brothers mm-hmm. and sisters and all this <laughs> yeah, i don't yeah. i don't know it's like he's a com- i guess you're right he's a mixed bag he's a complicated guy he is complicated like if if he existed and i'm not i'm not sold on that but if he existed like, I think it's interesting to th- think about why he, like, if you just take the Bible literally just for a few minutes, why he was considered an enemy of the Roman state. And, like, you have this guy, he's homeless, and he doesn't mind that he's homeless. And, in fact, he thinks everyone should be nicer to homeless people. And he's going around and he's talking about, like, feeding the poor and, and blessed are the meek and the humble and um, the need to protect children. And, you know, that's the sort of career that he was having at the time, and he was considered an enemy of the state. Right. Um, so, like, I don't think it's actually a bad thing to to want to to follow that example. Yeah. Follower, it just depends on, yeah, you know, I guess how you're interpreting the actual gospels, you know. Right. For me, Jesus is kind of like a band that you really like, but you hate their fans. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just makes them totally uncool for you. Interesting. <laughs> I was uh, I was um, disappointed to see that in the thing you wrote, um, you didn't write anything about the Billy Graham rule, or also known as the Mike Pence rule. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, I thought about that and like didn't have space. But yeah, so like Billy Graham is one of the rare celebrity preachers who, to his credit, I I can't recall any any whiff of like adultery or, right. or scandal. Right. Um, which everyone always credited to the to the Billy Graham rule, um, which seems really unnecessary to me. <laughs> yeah, which it's like if you're that ruled by your glands. <laughs> you know, I just need to hang it up. <laughs> right. Which, for our listeners who may not be aware, the Billy Graham rule is never be alone in a room with someone of the opposite sex. Isn't that it, basically? Well, a- he would have yeah. he would have um, his handlers check his hotel room for what he called lascivious women. <laughs> that we're going to, like, slip in there and, and uh, tempt Welcome. him. Tempt him, you know, so... I think that's interesting. Yeah. Also, the assumption like being... monsters under the bed. You yeah. Right, right. <laughs> right. So. Root him out of the closet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Apparently, Mike Pence also believes in something similar. Well, he doesn't want to piss off Mother. Right, he doesn't want to piss off Mother. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, what's his name from The Simpsons? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... Um, what do you think about, like the future of evangelical Christianity. And I guess a sub-question to that, and something that we explored on a previous episode, was like, does the kind of Christianity espoused by people like Mike Pence, um, does it have an actual viable political influence? Like, is it is it something that is legitimately threatening to uh, the projects of egalitarianism and, you know, humanism and all this other stuff yeah i think at the moment it's in a position where it can do a lot of damage and people should be actively worried about it i have questions about its long-term future just because young people do seem to have ideological differences um like they're not as against gay marriage for example uh so i i just and they're also not as fond of donald trump which is another important thing so like i i've always kind of thought they've kind of made this devil's bargain in a sense where they've got power now and they can use that power in a way to advance their agenda, but it may cost them, you know, kind of the future of the movement. Right. <clears throat> well, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, it, it really sort of concern. and I get this sort of like in the back of my mind, I get really sort of like dark and uh, concerned about it. Like, especially I remember during, you know, right after the inauguration last year, this sort of like Christian identity movement um, really is for me very, a very dark thing because it basically, yeah, like I was saying, like it basically advocates for a sort of apocalyptic situ- um, solution to. Terrence went down a, a rabbit hole about the Dominionists. Oh you know yeah, the Domin- about this, right? Uh, the Dominionists about like Ted Cruz's dad and Steve Bannon. Right. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have heard of it, yeah. Like, it's it's hard to know, like, there aren't actually many actual Dominionists. It's just, I think, that evangelicals um, all kind of share this vision for, you know, purifying the country, and that means achieving a certain measure of political power. Right. Right. <clears throat> well, um, so I don't know. I, I think that we've probably kick that dead horse do you have anything else you want to put uh, in closing i just want to pose this to the both of you as uh lapsed christians and me as uh somebody that's kind of floating out here what's your favorite bible verse is or is there any bible verse that still resonates with you even though you've you've given it up 
Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, but I'd have to think about it. Um, I don't know, Sarah. What What do you got? Do you have anything? I'm gonna put. I'm yeah, gonna throw you in front of the bus. I actually do, which is surprising, maybe, but I do. Yeah. Uh, it's Micah six eight, um, and I pulled it up in front of me so I can remember it. But um, I'm paraphrasing a little. But what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God? That's good. That's the good stuff. <laughs> right. What about it? appeals to you you know before i left the church to me it just sort of summed up the kind of christian that i wanted to be and you know how i thought of how i ought to live my faith in the world and how people ought to know that i was a christian um and you know i'm not religious anymore but i still it still shapes my politics in a particular way like I am a socialist because I, I think that this is the most effective way to, to do justice, and it's how you love mercy, and it's how you walk on the earth as a humble person. Right. Uh, that is a great answer, sir, but I like how Terrence used that filibuster question while he's over here thumbing through Bible Gateway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, good, sounds good, great. <laughs> I'll, buy, I'll buy you a little extra time, Terrence. I, I have two, and it's it's so strange because... I mean, as principled as I think of myself, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fourth person appearing in the fire still, like, <laughs> can move me to tears sometimes. Mm-hmm. But my favorite verse, I think, specifically is Matthew 5 and 37. Let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. The rest is the work of the devil. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> I think I just like the way it sounds. More than <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's like it packs a punch. It's like to the point. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Did you say you had a second one? That's it. Oh, that's it. All right. Damn. You're I just guess gonna go with Jesus whip. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> I, I can't come up with anything. In my in my you know adamant refusal, I don't know rejection of anything to do with Christianity. Uh, in my early twenties, I like did a Men in Black like. Um, you know, like the little device they use to wipe your memory. All right, <laughs> I did one mm-hmm. of those. Got, got a cool guy over here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, yeah. thank you so much for uh, for coming on today and for uh, yeah talking shop with us. I wanted to um, before we. I wanted to do a reading thing, but I don't have the book in front of me. But like one one thing I find a lot of comedic value in is creation science. Oh yeah. I, like, oh yeah. Because just because I think it's so fascinating that so much energy and intellectual concentration is poured into this in, this huge field of of knowledge that is totally bogus. Oh yeah. It's it's fascinating to me. It's like an entirely separate reality, like with its own precepts and you know its own like. Um, scientific coherence. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like I just yeah, like it's it's crazy. Like my my college, they would give us extra credit for one of our science classes if we went to the creation museum. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hell Which yeah! I just didn't do like I kept my D in the class. Cause I just could not, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Uh, this is like also one of the reasons I had a D in the class. Yeah, um, all of it was insane. Um. But I don't know anything about science now, still. Well, I'm interested, you know, you personally, me and Tom have talked about this a lot, you know, and it's something that, like, guides 
my life, even though I don't adhere to it anymore. I think the idea of sin and the concept of guilt have probably fucked me over for my entire life. Even though, you know, I'm 30 years old and I still, and I feel like I've escaped a lot of those sort of um, ways of thinking and modes of thinking. It's still really difficult to escape the um, sort of psychological pattern of guilt um, self-flagellation, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Do you experience That's, that, that at all? That, that, that uh, yeah, no, the Sunday morning condition. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still do all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm 32, and I haven't been to church in a long time at this point, and, but it just never quite goes away. Right. <laughs> That's good news. That's <laughs> good. We're going to be dealing with that yeah. all of our born days. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Fuck. It still sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Uh, Sarah, I, yeah, I didn't mean to jump the gun there and push you. I did want to talk about one thing real quick. We can probably just go back and splice this in because I meant to talk about this when we are talking about um, Billy Graham's in- anti-Semitism. What are your thoughts on this sort of evangelical preoccupation, I guess, and fetishization of, like, Israel? God, it's so sinister. It's so sinister because the reason they're obsessed with it is because they believe certain things have to happen in the nation of Israel in order for Armageddon to happen, and that's the only reason they care. That's it. <laughs> right. 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 I, just, <laughs> I, th- I think it's interesting. I was, we were watching a clip of, of John Hagee, and for folks that don't know, John Hagee is sort of a famous <laughs> uh, doomsday televangelist out of San Antonio. He's crazy. Oh, he's <laughs> batshit. But he sort of <laughs> broke with orthodoxy. I mean, when I was growing up, I don't know about y'all, but when I was growing up, it used to be the case that Christians should try to convert Jewish people. Like, mm-hmm. they, there were even, like, crackpot theories yeah. about how, like, a certain amount of Jews were going to make it to heaven. Yes. Yeah, I've heard that theory. And so John Hagee, like, sort of broke with orthodoxy and said, it's not incumbent on Christians to try to convert Jews. Which is sort of like, really, <laughs> you know, like yeah. to, to like to my mind, it was just so reared in that like you should try to convert everybody, Muslim, Jew, Christian, indifferent, and otherwise, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I just I I just wanted to to get your your thoughts on that before we took off, yeah. Yeah, I I just. I kind of, like, look sideways at Netanyahu for a number of reasons, but one of them is just, like, evangelical American Christians are not actually your friends. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They do not have your best interests at heart. They think that the Valley of Megiddo is literally going to fill with blood. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought it was pretty vile in a lot of ways, but that Bill Maher documentary, Religious, kind of touches on some of that stuff, and I think is... I mean, it's clearly got some ugly anti-Muslims that stuff in it, but um, I think there's some. Well, the whole thing is very. Um, it, it's so strategic in the sense that, like, the whole point of it is, as it's just colonialism. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like the United States needs a country in the Middle East that it can funnel billions of dollars and weapons and aid into to prop up you know it's just like that's why john hagee i think probably came around to the idea like yo you don't have to convert jews because like they understand the geopolitical significance of israel 
and don't want to disturb that or right. lose that. Right. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty bad. Pretty crazy. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> jeez, jeez. Well, uh, so we've um. You know, I guess we've exercised the Billy Graham rule here in our, <laughs> you know, uh, you're not actually here in the studio. <laughs> you're over the phone. <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> thank you for joining us, Sarah. And um, and we always have a good time talking to you. And uh, it's always very enlightening and fun. Thanks for having me back. For sure. Anytime. Uh, we hope to have you back soon because, you know, a lot of the things that you uh, have been writing about lately are... You know, you know, we should plug all the other great things you've been writing lately because, um, you know, it's not just, you know, we just wanted to talk about Christianity today, really. But, you know, you've been writing a lot of really great stuff about the uh, decline of, um, you know, infrastructure and all these other things in rural areas and um, and a lot of our interests and um, and, you know, activist interests overlap and so um we always appreciate your insight and uh wish to have you on again to talk about some of that stuff sometime soon yeah 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 that would be that would be great i love that so yeah so definitely check out sarah's work at the the new republic and um we hope you have a great weekend sarah and we'll talk to you Thanks. soon